computer. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Kamari Valentine. Thank you so much for joining my podcast. And today, I am so excited to have my first podcast guest. I am very delighted to have my friend Ashling. Ashling. It is Ashling, right? Your proper it's name. Ashling O'Connor, yes. <laughs> O'Connor. Um, when I first met Ashling, I struggled with the Irish um, writing of Ash's name and mangled it so much. So Ashling simply told me to call her Ash. And now I feel hesitant about calling her anything else. But Ashley O'Connor is an amazing psychologist based in Ireland, and she is joining me today. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining me. And it's so amazing to have you on my show. Thank you very much, Kamari. And it's very exciting to be the first person. Thank you. <laughs> and Ashley, do you want to um, fill people in on what you do? Like I was amazed to see what you had done in in these past two years, right? In establishing. Yep. Yeah, establishing so I guess connection. I, yeah, so we, I have a um, private practice in Ireland, in Sligo, in the northwest of Ireland, called Connections Child Psychology, which I guess I created about two years ago, um, physically created it two years ago, but it would have been in my kind of mind and in my vision for a very long time um, I've been working as a psychologist for a long long time and in Australia um, and returned home with the um, I guess the goal was to open my own practice after working in many practices in Australia um, so yeah it was two years ago now and that's up and running and we have since taken on two new therapists so we're so incredibly busy and grateful that we can help so many families so, yeah, it's going really well, Kamari. Thank you. That's amazing, Ash. And um, one of our points of connection, um, one of our many points of connection, it felt like magic, was that you've actually visited New Zealand as well, right, in your travel? Yes, yes quite a long time ago before kids when life was very, very <laughs> different. It was about, probably about 15 years ago now. We travelled all around um, in a camper van, myself and my husband, for a month. It was amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. amazing, Ash. Now, another point of connection that we have is we, and part of how this discussion came about that ended up in a podcast was our shared passion for attachment. Right. Yeah. And so I was very keen to hear for, about how attachment informs your work. Um, as you know, it is the mirror through which I see adult interactions but those interactions have their basis in in childhood you know the very little people and parents who you work with mm -hmm. yeah exactly so I guess you know the neuroscience that we know all about now is showing us that those first two years are so crucial for a child's brain development right and so when I see kids in the clinic and I obviously do parent intakes you know would be the initial session one of the main things that I'm trying to find out is what was life like when mum was pregnant for those nine months and for those first two years when that brain development was so crucial okay because we know it grows so fast in that period that um it's really important to look at that and we know so much now that the early attachments in particular um and environment and all those things are really crucial to how a child you know how their little brain develops so a child who's had um 
any attachment disruption or any really crucial traumas or you know, a medical trauma, a birth trauma, all of those kind of look like an, an attachment disruption, if we call it that. And we know that a child's brain who's had that exposure will develop very differently to a child who hasn't had that start. And that might look like a child who has an outlook on the world been a bit more scary um, than another child. So it's really important to me, like when someone comes to me and says, this is the presentation, like this, this is what's happening, I can very quickly pinpoint the period in time that something probably has occurred based on all the neuroscience that we know now so it's that's crucial a, that's amazing Ash. and and to, to take a to take a wee step back so um i always find it very strange when we talk about a child's attachment right we say mm-hmm. and a child's attachment is secure or insecure um anxious or ambivalent but really it almost has nothing to do with the child sure children have temperaments but it is actually yes. a function of the caretaker's warmth and sensitivity, lack of criticism towards this little child and the goodness of fit. Is that right? Yes. It is a lot to do with that and can be a lot to do with that. But I think it's very, we have to be really careful that we're not saying that, you know, it's it's a parent's or a caregiver's fault say for mm-hmm. example if a child develops you know their brain develops a certain way because it can be other things it can totally. be you know it can be to do with that birth trauma or to do with you know if a child is sick or has to go into hospital and um also i think i i truly believe that every parent is doing their absolute best Absolutely. if they they can with what they know and how they've been um brought up and so very often what i find is that you know if there is that attachment disruption through that relationship it's very often because the caregiver themselves never had that modeling, never had that real warmth, you know, connected relationship. And so it's very difficult sometimes for them to know how to do it or they're trying their best to do, it, but maybe it's not as easy for them. So it's it's we, we're talking about intergenerational trauma in, in, in a sense, aren't we? Um, but but I do back to that point, I really do believe that everybody's doing the best they can, just like our parents did the best they could with what they knew, whereas we probably know more now and we know different, maybe better ways of being with people and with each that, other. That's such an amazing and fantastic <laughs> points points, Ash. That's so cool. And um I I absolutely agree with you. That's right. And what I find astonishing is when when people even who have experienced neglect, um, adverse childhood and other adverse childhood events. They they make a concentrated effort to try and parent differently. Mm-hmm. So in my experience of doing assessments in prison and um, you know, quite stark other places, you're right. People are very often, um, not everyone, but the, the vast, vast majority of people, I think, are absolutely doing their best. And I think it is astonishing how they are doing that despite generational trauma. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we are we are seeing a shift. I see a huge shift, even like, you know, I, I know how my parents did it. And I, I can see how many parents are trying to do it differently now. Mm. Like I, I see them every day and there is a massive shift. And that's only because we've learned a lot more and we've done a lot more research and it will continue to evolve that way. So it's it's a it's a good thing, right? It's a really it's good thing. It's an absolutely good thing. And it's amazing that it is something that we know more about. Mm. Ash, I was interested. I feel like we've already even started talking about co-regulation. 
when I, when we talked about your work, I felt like that was something you really emphasized. Yeah. So I guess you know, again, back to that crucial period. Young kids, as you would know, you know, they don't know how to calm themselves. They mm. don't know how to, if we say the word, regulate themselves. So a large part of my job, I feel like, is helping parents understand that. So very often we might hear from parents who, you know, might talk about how often their child is having like tantrums or kind of big meltdowns and, and they don't know what to do about it. And what a lot of parents don't realize, um, as I didn't when I first became a parent, to be quite honest, um, you know, quite a while ago, but th that realization that a young child really needs a co-regulator. So really needs that parents, um, you know, what does that mean? It means sitting alongside them when they're the most dysregulated, the most distressed they can be and not leaving them and, and loving them unconditionally through it and holding that space. So, so basically lending them your calm, mm -hmm. you know. So what, what happens is, unfortunately, as parents, we get triggered when our child, you know, isn't listening or is having a big meltdown or if we're out somewhere in public, like happened to me this morning, I saw a poor lady with her little child and her little child was just absolutely like just completely dysregulated, screaming, crying. And the mom had two kids and she was trying to calm one kid down. And I could see she was getting dysregulated because that's what happens, especially when we're somewhere public or if we're mm -hmm. tired or, you know, if we're kind of a little bit empty, but it's really, it's really interesting for parents to try it out. If you can stay calm when a child isn't, you've got a much, much better chance of calming everything down in the house than if you get upset and dysregulated. Because the minute you get it dysregulated, the child goes to the next level. And this is a hot topic in our household at the moment, <laughs> is this question of um, uh, dysregulation right? and the the amygdala hijacking the frontal lobe okay um versus behavioral consequences and so on and so mm -hmm. i don't know my line is very much that when the children don't have a choice when they're upset Correct. Mm -hmm. that they, they're not choosing to be that way they desperately want connection they desperately want to do the right thing and, mm -hmm. and they're not choosing to get upset, but a whole number of things have built up, for example, and they're, um, we say, losing the plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's really, this is, there's, you know, there's there's more to this that I feel like is really important. A very young child, and in fact, every child, I suppose, has two crucial needs, okay? Mm -hmm. The first need is attachment, because they cannot survive without that attachment caregiver. They, we can't survive as babies without someone else. And the second need is to be authentic. But what happens very, very often, sadly, and it would have happened to me as a child, and it would have happened to other, you know, lots and lots of people, you trade your authenticity if there's any chance that the attachment will be severed. And what that means is, if I don't behave a certain way, I get in trouble. If I don't behave a certain way, I get sent to my room on my own. If I don't behave a certain way, I don't get whatever treat or, or you know, whatever it is. But the, the idea that a caregiver would pull away and have conditions maybe around the relationship or 
um, the fear that they'll be left alone means a child will adapt and change who they really are to try to make sure that that attachment doesn't get severed. And that's where it gets dangerous. I feel like that's real gold there. I remember when we've talked about this before and you said this, it's just, you've said it so beautifully. So I'm just going to repeat that because I think, I think people listening are really going to um, like really appreciate that, that for children, there can be a trade-off of, of their authenticity. They'll give that up in the pursuit of making that attachment which they need for their very survival. So during childhood, they might have been all childhood and um, adolescence. They might have been all manner of these traits, giving up who they really were, their real feelings, their real inclinations in the pursuit of that important relationship or relationships that they had. Correct. Yes, and and we see it. We see it in school all the time. You know, I talk to parents and teachers about many different clients and they'd be like, oh, my God, she's such a great girl at school or oh, mm. oh, he's so wonderful. I never have to say boo to him. He just has his homework done every day and he never says a word. And I'm like, oh, OK. And when I explore it, the child is actually sitting there in fight or flight, mm. freeze mode, potentially, if, if they're an anxious child or, you know, and the idea that they would get in trouble or that the teacher wouldn't approve of them is so frightening to them that they will do everything they can to make sure that doesn't happen. So it's not always a good thing when we talk about the good girl or the good boy. Mm-hmm. We have to be really mindful of that, that, that trade-in that we're talking about, the authenticity. This reminds me of um, when people praise independence. You know, like when they say, oh, he's so independent and I pseudo independence we in essence what's happened is a a child has learned that they cannot rely on yeah. the caregivers around them that actually it's better to do things on their own and that is to my mind not true independence what they've learned is actually i don't trust others to meet my emotional needs and that yeah. wound that happens then I'll just check. Does that sound right to you, Ash? Yeah, no, definitely. And that and that's exactly it. That can happen because, again, a lot of, you know, just going back to the real life examples that I would hear is, you know, they want to sleep in bed with me every night or they keep coming in in the middle of the night and I don't want them to have this bad habit. And I don't want mm-hmm. them to be dependent on me. And again, it's gone back to the only way they can become truly independent is through safety and relationship. And whatever that safety needs to be is, is what I encourage parents to do. Like, so if a child needs to get into bed with you and they're nine years of age, let them get into bed because there's a real need there. And until you meet that real need and that child feels safer in that relationship, or, you know, not, not that the relationship might be safe, but it just, it's the feeling of safety in relationship until that happens the child's going to keep needing to do that. Whereas if we can let that codependency exist for a while until they feel safe, then they will become truly independent. But it's a bit confusing, especially when we've got all these silly books and silly things that people have been told to do differently. And this uh, behavioral punishment, black and white kind of view. But it's changing. (laughs) It is changing, I think. confident and hopeful it's changing. What do you you reckon about how 
this work has influenced you as a parent. And I know that I know that one of the things that you you've been thinking a lot about is, uh, for example, online safety. But but maybe maybe let me start more generally, and then then I'm going to ask you about online safety. Okay. Yeah. So it massively influenced me as a parent. So basically, my um, when my youngest child was born, there was some birth trauma, and mm. he was um, taken away from me, and he was um, in NICU. You know, in that intensive care for five days, there was a lot of interventions, and and all of those things. So I, I know very kind of personally why. Um, and how this, what it looks like in a child later on in life. So what it's meant is that where I'm so fortunate and so grateful that I have this knowledge because I parent him very differently if I didn't know this. Mm -hmm. So when he has the big feelings, which he has the big feelings because of his early start, he's got a nervous system that's much more reactive based on his beginning. Um, I'm able to see that for what it is. And so it's easier, not always, Obviously, I'm human, too, and I don't always get it right, but I can definitely see how I can be more empathic and more patient with those big meltdowns. Mm -hmm. And I can understand what it's about, you know, like little things, whereas for someone who wouldn't know this stuff, they would just see a child who's just, you know, trying to upset people in the house or they're just never they always want their own way or they always want control. And do you know what I mean? So it's been I'm so grateful that I know this stuff. Because it's definitely meant we've had a calmer house than we possibly would have had. Yeah. And, sure. and I, I like that you you emphasize that this isn't easy. This isn't about an instant, you know, just because you know that doesn't mean, oh, everything like this is now easy. In fact, it's really difficult. It's difficult to regulate your own nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's difficult yeah. to regulate somebody else's nervous system. Yeah. And I always say like to everyone that it's much harder mm -hmm. to stay calm in the presence of a meltdown or whatever's happening in the house than it is to just shout and roar. Yeah. It takes so much more to hold it together and to keep yourself regulated. And it is so difficult. And I definitely do not do it all the time because, again, like I, I am human. And, you know, you, you'll notice as a parent when you're tired if you've had a late night, if you're a bit stressed with work, you're much quicker to maybe not stay regulated. So that's where I think parents' self-care has to come into this a lot when we're talking about all these things. Like, it's not just about the child and, you know, you really do need to look after yourself because it's it's not easy. Parenting is incredibly hard. And regulating your feelings is not just a thing you get born with, right? It's a, it's a skill. That, yes. that you can practice at and improve. Yeah. And I think the first the first part of that is very often recognizing when it's happening. Yeah. And when you can start to recognize when it's happening, you can start to learn how to pause. And I talk a lot about this intentional pause. And, you know, rather than just reacting to something, take 10 seconds, five seconds. For me, it's, Mommy just needs to get a glass of water. I'll be back in one minute. And I go right. and I walk and I get my glass of water and I'm counting myself back down and I'm calming myself, reminding myself that, you know, their age and why it's happening and they're just hungry or they're just tired or whatever. And by the time I come back, hopefully 
I can have calmed, not always, but a lot of the time I'll have calmed myself right back down again. But it's that slowing down and recognizing when it starts to happen, when you are starting to get triggered, that's kind of the key to, to changing it, I guess. And and the the act of mirror neurons, so sorry, the the, yeah. the way mirror neurons work is actually both directions. Mm-hmm. We're using so our awareness, our calming down helps the child calm down. But as the child calms down, is regulated, we also calm down. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. And works both ways. And even like that, if I walk away and get a glass of water and I come back and I might do <sighs> big breath like that, like a calming breath, you know, then that helps them. Or I might like, especially with my um, youngest pick or my oldest um, pick him up. And I, I've had times I've rocked him over and back. So he's so dysregulated mm-hmm. that nothing is going to work. Only when I grab him, in my arms with a big tight squeeze like a hug and I rock him over and back. He just instantly starts to calm and the movement and the proximity and the connection. But it's important to mention too, not every child will want to be held. Not every child will want to be, you know, want the movement. For some kids, they'll be on the floor and they won't want you anywhere near them. But it's okay to, to you know, it's okay to sit outside their bedroom. It's okay to say I'm right here whenever you need me. Those type of things. It it will be different for every child. Amazing, Ash. and I I really like those very practical examples that you've given. I'm not sure exactly how to 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 um to introduce this passion project you've been working on mm-hmm. because to me it's so connected to everything we've been talking about your passion for online safety, which you've been very unwavering about, um, to me is informed so much by everything we've talked about. How about I let you introduce what you're doing in the online space? Yeah, so I guess since I, probably before, but definitely since I've had my children, I have been very aware of how different it is now with the online world, with phones, devices, with all of the risks that come with that. Um, And so I have, um, I guess, kind of been creating a course and a program in the background. But to answer what you've just said about the connection here with what we're talking about, I believe, this is my belief on it, is that it is absolutely of paramount importance that we are connected and communicating with our child in order to keep them safe. And so to me, the connection and being approachable as a parent are two pillars, if you like, of that kind of, you know, safety of how we're going to keep them safe. So when I say approachable, what I mean is that, you know, no matter what we do, no matter how much we educate them, no matter how much we educate ourselves and how great our relationship can be, there are probably still going to be times where they will make mistakes. And, you know, as they get older, especially, I suppose, in those teenage years when they're a bit more impulsive and, and, you know, friends are doing things and whatnot, there possibly will be mistakes made. Um, And we need to make sure that we're the type of parent and we have that type of relationship with them where we are so approachable so that should something go wrong, or I often say when something goes wrong, that they can come to us. You know, that, that's brilliant. It, and, and this and this, Kamari, I think this starts like from birth. 
And that's not to frighten frighten anyone who has a 13-year-old now and has done differently. You can always change it. But it's about being careful with those threats. It's about being careful with consequences. It's about, like, not threatening to take away devices. That's the biggest thing I talk about to parents in the clinic is a child's greatest fear is that you're going to take away their device. And that's not just taking away a physical device. You're taking away the link to their friendships, which are so important to them. And so if you've threatened it many times, they're not going to come to you when they've got a problem or when something really bad is happening because they're too scared. There's three reasons actually why they're, what they're afraid of, why they don't come to you to parents or caregivers. The first reason is because they don't think parents are tech savvy. So they think that, they, yeah, they think you don't know anything about the online world. So how could you possibly help them? The second thing is they think that they're going to disappoint you. And there's that fear to attachment disruption again, right? They don't want to disappoint you. Even your teenager who might have spoken to you for the last six months, they still don't want to disappoint you. And the third thing, the biggest one why they won't come to you when they're in trouble is because they think you're going to take away their device. Mm. You know, and there's so much we can be doing from the start to try and think about these, you know, big things that for like, I always think that now, like when kids are really young for me, you know, it's it's so incredibly hard and it's you know it's a huge challenge nearly every day obviously but I'm always thinking in long term what kind of a parent am I setting myself up to be right now for the rest of their life that's a great that's a really great reminder like a really great statement Ash I you know the other thing I like is that when you're talking about online safety and I think this really shows your psychological awareness and, and your skills, it, you, you, you're you not just talking about a to-do list, like um, put this password on, restrict these sites, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, like those are, those are surface things, if you like, that aren't yep. really about this context of creating safety, of actually meaningful, dare I say, meaningful safety. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times when parents reach out to me for some support on the online stuff, they think I'm just going to give them a list of all the parental controls and you just put all those things on the phone and you're fine. But it's not that. And exactly what you've said, the reason it's not that is we can wrap them up in our house and we can lock everything down and we can be 100% almost, 100% sure almost if they haven't got a phone snuck away. But we can be almost sure that we can keep them safe. But what happens when they go to their friend's house? Mm. What happens when they're out in the schoolyard? And you know what one of the really frightening things is now, and I'm hearing it more and more, in primary school, so that early years, um, I'm not sure what you call it in New Zealand, um, but there are kids, there's so much exposure now to pornography that kids don't know, they don't know what it is and they can't make sense of it and it's scary. So they come into school, in primary school, and they reenact things, trying to make sense of it. And so if you have a child who's come into school and done something to another child, and that other child hasn't been taught their early warning signs or hasn't been taught the right to stay safe or, you know, good, good and bad secrets and all those things that we do to keep kids safe, then they don't know what to do with that. Mm. And so then they're left sitting with that on their own. And they don't know that they can reach out to a parent. And there's just so much to this. But it isn't it isn't about parental controls. It's about open communication and connection in your relationship. 
and starting as early as you can, whenever that is, um, it's never too late to start. It's it's not this huge thing that I think a lot of parents think that it is. It can actually be quite easy to not easy, but it's it's very doable to do with the right tools and the right kind of guidance on it. And Ash, I I believe you've got a webinar coming up, right? Like a I, like a yeah. This is a taster, if you will, of of some of that wonderful knowledge that you have. Yeah, you yeah. Tell us on, the on, details um, of that webinar. Yeah, so it's on Monday the twelfth. That it's eight thirty p.m. here. So I think that's probably what eight thirty p.m. I think is is nine p.m. our time. Yeah, on Monday time. night. So Monday morning is our night. Monday night. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, so it's my night time, so it'll be your morning time. Okay. Um, so it's and it's basically all of the things that you need to know to keep your child safe online. So I'm going to cover it's an hour masterclass, but it will cover so much of this information about what you need to know. Um, so for anyone that obviously is feeling that this is really overwhelming, and I know it does feel like that sometimes, but it doesn't have to be. So if they can by all means, jump onto my Instagram and they can have a look there and, and, and register if they want. And Ash, if people can't join live because of time differences or whatever, do you mm-hmm. have a recording available? Yes, correct. So anybody that um, registers obviously will get that sent, that recording afterwards as well. And Ash, what's your, um, on Instagram, can you remind me, are you Ashling O'Connor or are you Connections Psychology? Connections Child Psychology on um, Facebook and on Instagram. Brilliant. Ash, that is just utterly, utterly fantastic. You are so amazing. And I feel like this just adds just a beautiful dimension to this discussion about, um, you know, healing the wounds of childhood, perhaps perhaps even preventing the wounds yeah. of childhood, right? That's amazing. <laughs> and thank you so much for joining me all the way from Ireland. That's just utterly fantastic. So thank you so much for joining us, everyone who's been listening. We'd really love to hear what you think. Please spread the word. Ashling's um, webinar masterclass is coming up. And like Ashling said, you can also um, hear the recording even if you can't attend live. But I think if you can attend live, it would be a great chance to ask Ash some questions that might be burning on your mind so please Mm -hmm. check that out and we'll catch up with you soon thank you